Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran, a ministry of Worship Generation Church in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. In other words, what the devil hates is usually is going to be something good. And an evil king of Assyria, when he's trying to stop the people of God from doing what's right, whatever he attacks, it's something the people have got to take very seriously. So if kings try and keep you from gathering as a church or singing as a body of Christ or teaching the word of God or preaching the gospel, it's probably a good thing for us to keep doing those things. And this is good. His dad was good, but was disqualified. And he did one thing in his reign of 16 years that mattered. He built a direct route between the palace and the central place of worship. Whereas his dad lost access to the place of worship because he disqualified himself by going in there. He accentuated and expanded the position of worship in his life. Which is nice because he didn't let his dad's failures define him. Dad's disqualification and dad stumbling him with the Lord didn't keep him from going forward with the Lord. He didn't blame like he could have said, well, you know, he could have been like all those kings of the north that just sold their soul to the devil and tried to appease all these people coming against them and did everything evil imaginable. He wasn't like that. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And he didn't let his dad's failure keep him from doing what was right. He built the upper gate, which just reminds us as we go forward in a new year, It's not what came before us that matters. It's what we do with what we have that matters today. That's why Paul the Apostle said, forgetting those things are behind, we press on to what lies ahead to the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. Whatever has been destroyed by the devil or kings or our own failures prior to 2023, there's nothing we can do about that. And some things are out of our lane and some things are in our lane. So we need to know what our lane is and we need to build the path to the upper gate of the temple. Because... What's interesting about Jotham is when you read about Solomon, he built all these things and like the stables and the military defense and all this stuff. And he built the ships to go get gold and all that. Those aren't spiritual. This is spiritual. Body of Christ, WG. His one act is spiritual. This is not political. This is spiritual. He did one thing that we're told that would have been a witness to everybody in Judah. I'm the king. I depend upon the king, and I'm building this upper gate so you can see this is where I go. This is where my authority comes from. This is where my power comes from. This is who I'm accountable to. I bow the knee, and I bow the knee at this temple. And you all know how my dad failed in that temple. But I'm still going back to that temple because his failure is not my failures, and I'm going forward with the Lord, and I'm building the upper gate. That's what it says, and that's what he did. So it's very encouraging to me to look at the life of Jotham and the reign of Jotham and say, you know, he just, it's, he's kind of out of the news too. John McEnroe, the famous tennis player who had all the famous tantrums back in the day, and you older people know John McEnroe. I have to admit he was one of my favorite athletes too, by the way, which worked against me in some ways. But he used to say that any press is good press. Of course, that was before our modern social media. 
But John McEnroe loved press. Any press he said was good press. That you're talking about John McEnroe was good to him. But you know, I think we'd all agree, some people don't want to be on social media. They don't want any social media at all. And they don't want anyone to talk. Some people just like, they don't even want anyone to know they exist. And the end of all that is to go move to the desert and live in a trailer and just wait for the end of the world or until you leave the world. But in all fairness, the thing about Jotham is there's, he's not in the news. Like, in our own country, the previous president and the current president, they're in the news for everything all the time. It never ends. The news is endless. <laughs> it enrages half the country. Depending on who they're talking about. But if it's not this tweet, it's this policy. And you can't help but talk about like, what are they doing? They're in the news. Jotham wasn't in the news. He took care of business. You, you, had, you, had, to, you had to really look for something to, to work up against him if you wanted to talk about him over your tea in the afternoon in Jerusalem. Ah, he's kind of boring. He's vanilla. The dude doesn't do anything. He gets us upset. He administrates. He does his job. And he, look, what can you say? He built, he built the upper gate. Look at that, man. Like, I kind of like that. So here's a thought that goes with this. We're told in 1 Thessalonians 4, as we think about representing the Lord in our timeline, Paul said something very interesting where he said, aspire to live a quiet, peaceful life and glorify the Lord in doing such. And I look at Jotham, I go like, man, Lord, give us something more. Give us something more. His Instagram is so boring. Hi, Jotham. A word from Jotham to start the new year. Like, dude, come on, stir it up. Say something that gets people going. He's not like that. He's just, this is all we get. He reigned 16 years. He died in his early 40s. He did what was right, and he built the upper gate. But you know what? That's a good resume for when you step into eternity. Because he's a king, he's a leader, and, he, and he, he definitely, when he stepped into eternity, and they buried him with the kings, they buried him in the tomb of the kings. He was a good king. And when they laid him to rest, and everyone was there, when people went home from his public service and his public burial, you could go back to your part of Judah, Bethlehem, wherever you live, and you say, you know, his dad was pretty amazing. His dad did a lot of stuff. His dad was stupid down the stretch, but I'll say this about Jotham. He lived a good life. And he, he didn't do anything to disgrace the Lord. And, you know, the prophets will tell you, Isaiah, the guys will tell you, he was a good man, and he built the upper temple, so the upper gate. So when they would go back to the temple after he died, they could go up and look at, man, that's, that's the legacy of his life. Which makes me think the value of aspiring to live a good, peaceful life is unto the Lord and to be a quality citizen for the Lord, which is what Paul was talking about to the Thessalonians there in chapter 4. But also, when we think about the legacy of our life, if there's one thing that defines it, I hope it's something spiritual. You know, the surf was massive on Friday. Did you know that? Biggest surf in 50 years, maybe 60 years, maybe ever in my timeline. 20-foot surf up and down the West Coast. My son-in-law, Jacob, surfs, and he, he told me on Tuesday, he's like, hey, did you hear Friday? It's going to be like 20 feet. It's going to be bombing. I was like, what? Like, you know, I haven't surfed that much lately, but like, oh, we can, you know, we can, look, dancing keeps you in shape. That's your cardio. Then you got to stretch because that's just life at 60. And then you got to get out there and get a couple surfs in so you don't drown. And then you kind of pick your deal right there. And yeah, he's like, yeah, it's going to peak Friday morning. 
And I was like, oh, Friday morning. I'm speaking at the missions conference Friday morning. <laughs> I've, been, I've seen this movie before. It wasn't the first time I committed to ministry when the surf was doing something special. And so Jacob pulls up, he says on his phone, it's like, look, swell up. And they're comparing it to 08. I remember the 08 swell at Swami's. Or the 97 swell. I'm like, oh, I surfed that swell. Oh, oh, oh. And they're showing the purple blob like for the storm. And the so- I was like, oh. Jennifer's like, you are not paleontic, but surf. I'm like, oh, okay, you know, just, just, just look, you know, just give me a chance to think about it. Now I can come to that conclusion as well. You know, I do have a good life insurance policy. Huh? So, but, but, it's, but it's like, and it's, everything's like Friday morning. I'm like, oh, I, I'm totally committed Friday. I'm a big Calvary Friday. These are the missionaries we prayed for. I mean, these are, these are the people on the list, right? Brian Broderson, they asked me to come up Friday. These are the people. They're there. <laughs> right? Like, that's just the way it is. And... Um, so I had to just immediately say, like, we're not, we're not going to Rincon, or we're not going to Baja. Like, this is not going to happen. Hey, you, get in your lane. Stay in your lane. But I got to tell you, being at the missions conference Friday was so joyful. Because one of the people on this, she's not on our list. We, we, we didn't send money. We're going to this year. She's in the Philippines, Betsy. And I was on this panel, and... Richard Semino was hosting the panel, so it was uh, Matt, who's been to WG from the Bible College in Jerusalem, and, and Betsy and myself. I didn't know what to expect. I was just there. I enjoyed the session before that. And they introduced me to Betsy. Now, I've prayed for Betsy a ton. I'm like, I'm sitting next to Betsy. Like, I'm, I've been praying for the last three months for stuff for her in the Philippines, what her needs are, just so you know. She's like, oh, you're my son's favorite. He came to worship generation at Big Calvary. I was like, she goes, can I get a photo with you? I'm like, no, can I get a photo with you? Every time I said something, it sounded like, you know, calculated and intentional. Every time she said something, everyone clapped. You know, I was like, yeah, see, like, this spirit-filled woman. I'm like, copy too. You know, like, it's like, wow. You know, like, she just turns up with unwanted kids in the mountains of some island in the Philippines just going like, I'm going to leave the stage right now. You know, you're kind of embarrassed to be there. But here's the thing I thought about. Someone took a couple of photos of me on the podium with Betsy and the panel I got the shot of me on the podium, like, hey, I'm a big Calvary, I'm speaking, I'm doing something with missions. But today and yesterday, everyone's posting all their photos of 20, 30-foot surf. Sean Thompson, Rincon at 20 feet. Black's Beach is like this, La Jolla Cove, Newport, the best it's ever been. Blackies was the best it's ever been? <laughs> yeah. And all I can think is, you know what my image is? Me at the missions conference, sitting next to Betsy. And that is the best feeling to have in your life. And I thought, you know... 35 years ago when I was called to ministry, that's what I was called to. So when you leave one legacy on planet Earth, make sure it's a spiritual one. I had three guest speaking events last year. So the odds are like one in 100 days that I'm committed to something and this earth's the biggest earth ever. I'm telling you this because it's just a fun little story about how you see things as you get older, what really matters. Because there's always another big Wednesday. There's always that day again, you know. It never ends. I'm 61. That day came and went. I lived that dream. And I'm really happy if I step into eternity on Monday. The image you have of me on Friday, the 6th, is at the missions conference next to Betchy, and not drowning at Black's Beach with my saying, I told you so. Amen? Build the upper gate. 
WG, build the upper gate. Let's build spiritual things that that's our legacy. If one, I don't want people to say Joey Brown's a pipe master. I want them to say he was the pastor. You know, that's what I want. We talk about dreams come true from when I won the pipe masters, but the movie and the book is beyond the dream. That's what you need to know. We want to build the upper gate. And then finally, we come to this last king, Ahaz. So Jonathan built good things. But Ahaz, oh, he's a whole chapter. And you kind of figure out, where do you jump into Ahaz? Because it's just all so cluttered and it's nothing's good. But I'm going to start with verse 10 because this is the beginning of where he dismantled worship properly in the temple in Jerusalem. So we'll jump in on this text. So he's already off to no good. He's got emphasize going. He's got people doing whatever they want under any green tree with idolatry. Chronicles told us he built idols in every village of Jerusalem to other gods. But this is dealing with the temple. That's our context. And it says this in verse 10. Now King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath-Pirzer, king of Assyria, because he made a covenant with him, and he's to protect him from the northern kingdom and Syria. So he went to Damascus and king, because the Assyrians conquered the Syrians in Damascus. So he went up there and said, thank you. Here's all the treasuries from the house of the Lord. So he went to Damascus and King Ahaz sent to Uriah the priest the design of the altar and its pattern according to all of its workmanship. So this was an altar to false gods in Syria. Then Uriah, verse 11, the priest built an altar according to all that the king Ahaz had sent from Damascus. So Uriah the priest made it before the king Ahaz came back from Damascus. So he sent the plans and he built it before he came back. And when the king came back from Damascus, the king saw the altar and the king approached the altar and made offerings on it. So he burned his burnt offering, his grain offering, he poured his drink offering and sprinkled blood of his peace offering, offering on the altar. See, these are offerings that God set up in the Old Testament in the law so he's doing God's offerings on a pagan altar, verse, four, verse 14. He also brought the bronze altar, which was before the Lord. That's the correct altar. From the front of the temple, from between the new altar and the house of the Lord, and he put it on the north side of the new altar. He displaced God's altar and put it to the side. Verse 15. Then King Ahaz commanded Uriah the priest, saying, On the great new altar, burn the morning offerings the evening grain offerings, the king's burnt offering and his grain offering with the burnt offerings of all the people of the land, their grain offerings, their drink offerings, the sprinkling of all the blood, the burnt offerings on all the blood of the sacrifice. And the bronze altar, uh, that'll be, that, that's, that shall be for me to inquire by. So we're not going to make it totally insignificant. It'll be something I go to, just me, when I go the way I want to go. Verse 16. Thus did Uriah the priest according to all that King Ahaz commanded. And King Ahaz cut off the panels of the carts and removed the lavers from them. These are things Solomon built. And he took down the sea from the bronze oxen that were under it and put it on pavement of stone. Also he removed the Sabbath pavilion which they had built in the temple. And he removed the king's outer entrance. That's what Jotham built. From the house of the Lord on account of the king of Assyria. Now, the rest of the acts of Ahaz, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? So Ahaz rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. Then Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his place. But Chronicles tells us something very important. Though he was buried with his fathers in the city of David, he was not buried in the tombs of the kings. He was so evil, he was not buried in the tombs of the kings. And whereas priests tried to stop Uzziah, his grandfather, from going to do something stupid in the temple... 
he had Uriah go along with him, and he was his yes man. He said what he wanted to hear, not what he needed to hear. And so he didn't have the people trying to restrain him. They just went along with what he did. We also know when he made the deal with Tiglath-Pilser, the king of Assyria, he said, I'm your son and I'm your servant. Deliver me from the northern kingdom and from Syria, and I'll do whatever you want. And he took the temple treasury, that was as the Lord's, paid off the Assyrian king, temporary, because you can never give an Assyrian king enough money. He'll always come back for more. Gave him the money and thought he had resolved the situation. Now, in Second Chronicles, there is there's quite a record on his evil and how he provoked the Lord. And I'm just going to read a couple things uh, about him where it says that what Ahaz did. That he reigned, when he reigned in Judah, and it said his death and his apostasy. Now, in the time of his distress, this is Second Chronicles 28. In the time of King Ahaz's distress, he had become increasingly unfaithful to the Lord. For he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which had defeated him. And he said, because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and all Israel. He stumbled everybody with everything he did. So Ahaz gathered the articles of the house of God, cut in pieces the articles of God, shut up the doors of the house of the Lord, made for himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. In every single city of Judah, he made high places to burn incense to other gods, and he provoked to anger the Lord God of his fathers. Now, the rest of his acts and all that he did are they not written in the book of the kings of Israel, which we just read. But they did not bring him when he died into the tombs of the kings of Israel. And then Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his place. The greatest king ever in this line is going to come from him. But he's terrible. And that's what he did. That's a more expanded version of what he did. So as we think about him, there's something more about him, too. God gave him Jesus. The Lord, through the prophet Isaiah, gave him Jesus which makes his life even more sobering to us because he rejected Jesus. And here's how he rejected Jesus. The famous prophecy in Isaiah 7, ask for a sign, I'll give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive a child. Right? That's, that's that text for Christmas. The virgin birth, the virgin conception. That promise, that prophecy was given by Isaiah the prophet with a short-term, long-term promise So it's a twofold prophecy, actually. We call that a double prophecy. But it was given to Ahaz. Ahaz starts Isaiah chapter 7. That famous chapter, he starts it by name. And he was so bad, and God delivered him from the king of Assyria and the king of the north. Excuse me. God delivered him from the king of Syria and the kings of of the northern kingdom when they came against him. And he said to Ahaz, even though Ahaz wasn't faithful or walked with the Lord, he said to Ahaz, look, ask of me a sign, I'll give you a sign. And Ahaz said, I don't test the Lord like that. I'm not going to do that. And God says, well, I'm going to give you a sign. It's the virgin birth. That's the backdrop to the Virgin Mary and the Immaculate Conception. Ahaz is part of the story. That's this Ahaz. When he rejected the opportunity to have personal faith, And let God give him a sign of confirmation for the king that God would give him victory against his kings. He rejected it. And God said, well, I'm going to give you a sign about my son who's going to come through the virgin. I'm going to give you a sign. The the great prophecy of Jesus Christ and the virgin birth in its context is given to King Ahaz after he rejected the invitation to have personal faith in the living God. Isn't that amazing, WG? That's very sobering. We look at that text and we go, give me Jesus. We're here every Christmas. You know, like the virgin birth, heart to herald, angels sing. And you know, this guy, 
He's outside. It's, he, he, it's incredible that when he rejected God's invitation, God gave him the prophecy of Jesus Christ coming into the world. That is just so... You know, if you can't sleep tonight, think about that. There, there's just something so profound in the, in the reality of this. When he rejected, when, when Ahaz rejected a personal faith to trust in the Lord as the king of Israel, God the Father gave him God the Son, Jesus Christ, in his response. You talk about a soft answer turns away wrath. God's like, you know, I'm not going to hammer you. I'm, a, I'm just going to speak about my son. And for the unbelief, to the defiled, everything is defiled. But to the pure, all things are pure. And those who get it are going to get it from here to eternity, right into 2023 with the Church of Jesus Christ and the preaching of the gospel. Because the virgin birth, of course, is essential to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Because in Adam, all sin and die. But Jesus is the second Adam. He, he had to be born of the virgin. It's just... Oh, God's word is so beautiful. But the real, the real problem for Ahaz is he rejected personal faith. See, we see he tore down, he tore down, he removed. Like the words associated, he built an altar according to what he wanted to do. And he put it in place of God's altar. I've got these words circled. Then he cut off this and then he removed that, then he removed that and he removed that. That's what he did with the house of the Lord. So Uzziah was struck down from being in the house of the Lord because he went to exalt himself as a priest in the house of the Lord. Jotham built the pathway to the house of the Lord for himself and for all Israel's seed. This is the way we do it in Israel, in Judah, with the Lord. But this guy, apart from sacrificing his own children on idols to Molech, emphasized, and encouraging sexual morality without restraint under every green tree and all the idolatries that go with it, in relation to the place of worship, to the temple, he so defiled it by removing the very altar that speaks of what Christ would do on the cross. And he put it there with his own altar, which is what we see so many people do. How many people remove Jesus, the Savior, and his sinless blood and replace it with Jesus, political correctness Jesus? A Jesus of their own mind. How many false belief systems? I mean, the New Testament has so many warnings about false Jesuses, and church history is filled with the wrong Jesus. And even in the last 30 years, we've seen people change songs to talk about Jesus and his sanctifying work, his saving grace, his blood, the blood of God shed for us. And they change the words because they don't like it. It's like they're moving the bronze altar and putting their little Syrian altar in place of it. Give me Jesus. Give me the blood. Give me the cross. Give me the empty tomb. And give me the ascension to the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning for all eternity. Give me Jesus coming back on the white horse with the robe dipped in blood. That's our Jesus. That's the bronze altar. That's the carts that should be there. That's the sea that should be there. That's the upper way that should be there. All that should be there, he destroyed. So it just reminds me, and this was my application on Tuesday night on this. It reminds me, don't let the devil or unbelief or anything evil of men destroy all that work in my life and my heart with my mind with Jesus Christ in 2023. Because it's not my job to please denominations or church leaders that don't believe Jesus is the only way. It's, It's not. My job is to teach and tend this church and to function healthily in the Calvary Chapel movement and the evangelical church worldwide. That's, that's my calling. The congregation, domestic outreach, international missions. I know exactly what my lane is and my calling. I know my position. I know the, the, like a football player, these are the schemes we run. This is our playbook. This is how we do it. I, so for me, when I read this, it's not like about 
denominational leaders that deny the Lord, deny everything that's good about the Lord, and just have a Jesus of their own interpretation, like this guy. No, for me, it's like the person in the mirror. I got to be really careful I protect that bronze altar. I got to really be careful that I protect those carts and those that see and those things. And that upper way, that's the way to the presence of the Lord. That's my job, and that's your responsibility. See, in 2023, we want to be like Jotham and build the way and maintain the way, not be the kind of people that tear down the way. We're part of the solution, not part of the problem. That's what the Church of Jesus Christ is. And we're going, whatever we do, we want to do all things is unto the Lord. Whatever we're doing, we want to do all things with excellence is unto the Lord. And whatever we're doing, we want to do it better and better to the glory of the Lord. That's who we are. That's the Church of Jesus Christ in 2023. That's who Worship Generation is. So we can learn from these kings, and we can learn the good things, the bad things, and even the bad things, we can make them a positive thing. So for I just leave Ahaz and say, you know what? He didn't receive it. I want to receive it. He didn't believe it. I want to believe it. He, he tore down. I want to build up. I want to go from glory to glory, and I believe so do you. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and our church YouTube channel. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. For more information about Pastor Joey personally, you can follow him on his Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube channel. Thanks for listening, and God bless.